politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots. You might be subjects to the state, but here at the Conservative Review, you are patriots. This is Daniel Horowitz back in the House August 14th with the summer waning and our liberty attenuated. Who is going to stand and fight for us? Well, we are here, as always, speaking the truth fearlessly. No groupthink, no herd mentality, only herd immunity. We're going to have a special guest on later today about a special website, rationalground.com. It's going to be a meeting place, a clearinghouse of information for rational thought on this virus and the truth about what it is, what it isn't, what works, what doesn't. Because what we are up against is a mental health crisis in this country. We are up against rationality versus paranoia. That's really what it is. I think we all know in our lives, whether we have relatives or people we know or people we see on the street that are paranoid, whether it's schizophrenia anxiety, depression, other mental illnesses that people unfortunately suffer from, it's, it's incapacitating. It certainly a, a creates paralysis that people cannot live functioning lives. What happens if you take an entire generation of people, particularly younger people, and make them like that? I mean an entire generation of people. That is what's happening. That is the plague we suffer from. And the question is how to cure that. And I don't know, because the problem is the more this virus attenuates and becomes more and more, as we've said before, like the fifth coronavirus cold, ironically, it's it's hurting our narrative because the more it becomes murky where there's no clear demarcation of an off ramp where it ends because it's not really going to end. And one very strong theory, and there's a lot of evidence behind it is that the other four coronavirus colds started out as pandemics. And they turned into coronavirus colds, except we never made a big deal out of them. So they're going to be with us like a cold is, where you can get immunity to a serious thing, but you don't have immunity to a cold. Not usually. Because God didn't design the world, the, 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 the body, the immunological ecosystem, in a way that you actually need it. Because you don't. Because in some ways, colds are kind of good. Although it will be interesting to see what happens with kids when everyone gets colds. Because we had that in our neighborhood. I still have a stuffed up nose and you know this like 10 to 14 day cold that went around where I am. Because kids were kept apart. How much of that is going to happen? How much strep throat? is going to be passed around colds. Things that typically people get all the time was never a big deal. But now a damn cold is the new threshold for panic. I'm not sure what you do about that. You know, Yesterday there was a lot of news about the president forging a historic diplomatic relations between Israel and the UAE. And everyone's like, wow, Daniel, this is great. And I'm thinking like, dude, I mean, 
look, it's a great foreign policy victory. Typically, for decades, everyone was assuming you had to destroy Israel and basically make them give up their land in order to make peace with Arab neighbors. And here, you know, the Trump administration changed approach, stopped this, you know, business of making Israel give concessions. And just the opposite. They're still able to forge relations with uh, really a lot of Arab countries more than ever. And that's great. But it's so hard to get jazzed up about things like that when America has become worse than the UAE ever was. When America has become like China. When we have worse tyranny and anarchy than we've ever had in our country. Heck, maybe we'll move to the UAE. We have to draw the battle lines. The president needs to start being consistent about this. And that will help lead at least red states and red counties. That's the only way you could have an Elijah on Mount Carmel moment. A moment of clarity. You have to have another side being presented. Right now, this is spiraling out of control. The more it goes on, the more they find cases, which again, with the PCR test picking up coronavirus colds, picking up nothingness, or just picking up very mild cases, and that's being treated as if it's stage four cancer, when the virus has already become very transmissible, but therefore very mild. What does that do to an entire generation of people when you have that degree of paranoia from a cold? Fear, panic, groupthink, hatred against fellow man. My father went to um, services at one place and they had this animal just walking up and down like staring at people and my father's glasses were fogging up from the stupid mask. Gee, what do you think that fog is? What do you think is being emitted, by the way? (laughs) It's such a joke. They don't work, those stupid masks. And, you know, so he had it down below his nose, and a guy just comes up to him. Well, either you put it on, or or you're going to have to leave. So my father just walked out. He just straight up walked out, and people were shocked. And you need more of that. It's time to push back. But it's this hysteria. This looking at another human being like a leper. This is not what God wants from us. And this is not science. It doesn't work. You look at the contrast between us and Sweden. It's unbelievable. We have a mental health crisis. Imagine if we had a dashboard counting in real time. All the suicides. All the drug overdoses. All the missed cancer diagnoses. All the atrophy. All the stress-driven heart attacks. When you have an entire nation like that. Whereas in Sweden, their economy, mental health is intact. And they have fewer cases than we do because they achieved herd immunity. You know that, just to understand this paranoia. If you look at Alaska... They now have 7.5 homicides per 100,000 people. And that's a, that's a lot, by the way, for a state like Alaska. That's a whole story in itself. Violent crime has really been going up there because the Republicans there bought into this jailbreak nonsense for a bunch of years. They let out a bunch of criminals. They have, they have the same garbage. There's no such thing as a red state. No such thing as a red state. So 7.5 per 100,000. COVID deaths are 3.5. Per 100,000. And by the way, there are several of them. There's only been a few deaths. 
several of them are known to have been made up. A bunch of neighbors got together in a case of a 90-year-old and said the guy didn't die from it. More than twice as likely to be murdered in the state of Alaska than from this. Yet they have, they have the paranoia. Liberal you know, Republicans there, liberal mayors, liberal this. There's no difference. The paranoia continues. And by the way, just on the mask thing, this guy, Doc Graham, who uh, wrote this post on Facebook, he's a surgeon of 30 years. And he said what we've been saying, very interesting. COVID-19 virus particle size averages are 125 nanometers, or 0.125 microns. The range is from 0.06 microns to 0.14 microns. One needs an electron microscope to see a COVID-19 virus particle. The hoarded N95 mask filters down to 0.3 microns. Okay, 0.3 microns. So that's about three times as much. So N95 masks block few, if any, virus particles. This is a simple fact. So you just cannot argue against it. Other surgical masks, homemade masks, and kerchiefs do the following. Number one, they allow free passage both ways in and out of COVID-19 virus. Number two, they become warm, damp, or moist reservoir of COVID-19 particles in asymptomatic carriers. Estimated to be 85% of all people tested. By the way, we've mentioned that before. That's how you could turn an asymptomatic person into a symptomatic. For surgeons, years of training, intimidation, and humiliation teach us to touch nothing but our surgical field. Lay people constantly touch, rearrange, and manipulate their masks, wonderfully inoculating thousands of virus particles onto um, onto their bare or even worse gloved hands. So these absurd masks encourage the fomite transmission. So go ahead and allow idiots to delude and mislead you to the false sense of security and danger of masks. And again, by the way, this is what our government has put out forever. Up until May. Folks, this is not going to end on its own. Kansas City just put out they're going to have a mask mandate until January. Other places don't, don't say anything. They don't even have a time limit. Where's the Missouri governor? Where's the Missouri attorney general? These are in Republican states. This is never going to end. Because the new threshold is a damn cold. In my state of Maryland, they now set up a snitch hotline. This is worse than China. My father used to travel a lot to China. He's like, yeah, this is worse. What does that do to an entire generation of people? A new survey commissioned by the Commonwealth Fund. Now, by the way, this was the, the, the survey was done mainly in May. <clears throat> so the, the hysteria and the paranoia spreads every, every day. It's much worse than it was then, ironically. And they took 10 different Western countries. And they asked... How many people are experiencing stress, anxiety, or great sadness that was difficult to cope with alone since the outbreak started? America by far had the highest level of 33%, which I'm sure by now is probably more like 50. The UK and Canada, other panic-porn areas, New Zealand, France, Australia, were in the mid to lower 20s. You know what the lowest ones were in the teens? Norway, Sweden, Netherlands. 
all countries that rejected the masks, which are symbols of panic. And, you know, to varying degrees, the other draconian measures. America, on the other hand, I believe because politics is such a blood sport, has had more incessant, obsessive, political porn propagation, panic porn propagation from the media, and it shows. And this is really what we've seen in that survey of millennials. Where they all thought someone next to them was going to die, even though they have the lowest level of of, uh, risk. They also found 31% of Americans affirmed that they were unable to pay for basic necessities like food, heat, or rent more than any other country because we destroyed our economy. The lowest ones, the Nordic countries. You cannot quantify this degree of emotional and economic distress. Again, in Switzerland, early on in the study, they found that in their country, there would be a loss, a cumulative loss of 1.8 million years of life due to suicide, depression, alcohol use disorder, children, childhood trauma, domestic violence, changes in marital status, and social isolation. They extrapolated that for America, it would mean a cumulative loss of 67.58 million years of life. It would mean that 6.9 million Americans would lose an average of nearly 10 years of their life. Because remember, these are mainly younger people. Younger people because they're, they have just broken values and they're convi- convinced by the panic porn more than anyone. So whereas the virus mainly kills people in the final months of their life, often final weeks, which is essentially God's way of taking them in this year, This virus, the virus of panic porn, kills people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. And now really kids. Very high rate of suicide. This is where we are. Parallel to that, I'm sure many of you have seen by now, CDC put out a brand new study titled Mental Health, Substance Use, and Suicidal ideation during the COVID-19 pandemic. They found this is this is unbelievable. I mean, the, 25.5% of 18 to 24-year-olds surveyed in late June had serious thoughts of committing suicide within 30 days. 25.5%. Okay? 18 to 24-year-olds and they didn't poll like 10 to 18-year-olds. These people have a greater chance of being struck by lightning than dying from this. Yet between the panic of them dying and the the social isolation, this is what it's doing. And then you look to 25 and 44-year-olds, 16%. Similar surveys that were done two years ago for that age group, it was like one-fourth that level. And then if you look from 45 to 64, it's 3.8%. And over 65, 2%. So there's actually an inverse relationship with your risk to the virus and your suicidal tendencies because it's a values gap in the generations. Fresno, California. See, this is not just... If you have that many people that are have suicidal tendencies, they're going to commit suicide. 
a lot of them are going to go through with it. I'm sure you could find a lot of data points. I just found one from Fresno, California. Their suicides were up 70% in June 2020 from June 2019. The National Alliance on Mental Health, Mental Illness Helpline, has seen a 65% increase in calls and emails since March, particularly among high schoolers. And we didn't even get to the drug overdoses. They're up about 50%, 50% nationally. So that's tens of thousands of more people dying of drugs this year. Tens of thousands of people getting addicted to them that will they'll wind up dying in the in future years. And then if you guys will remember, <clears throat> we had Sheriff Mark Lamb on the show from Pinal County, Arizona last week. And, you know, we were mainly discussing his citizens posse to fight back against the anarchy. But he talked about the corona fascism, too. And you think, well, what, what does a sheriff know about that? What does a sheriff know about mental health? And he gave a very interesting perspective. What happens, so, you know, you have the suicides, you have the drug overdoses, but then there's the level beyond that. What happens when you take a substantial portion of society and you make them mentally ill? You make them emotionally distressed. They're going to be extremely volatile, violent, paranoid. You know, they talk a lot about, you know, the paranoia or mental illness among the homeless population. We're seeing that a lot with homelessness going up and there's a lot of violent crime from them. They do these heinous things. I mean, not all. Some of them are very peaceful people, but a lot of them are like that because of mental illness. What if you turn everyone into that? And he noted. I, I don't have the audio with me, but but um, he noted from last week, this is you, you go back to seven or eight or ten shows Ago, you'll you'll see it. And he says, look, with people out of work, kids home, uncertainty, the media feeding people with all this stuff. We would go on a domestic call where we used to talk those people down and now immediately escalated into a fight. You see the emotions running high, the fear, panic. When you make people feel like they're not safe and the world is coming to an end. All those things combined create more anxiety and feelings of anger in people. So when we show up and now all of a sudden that anger has a chance to be released, it's clashing with law enforcement. And that's the thing. There's public safety issues. There's no doubt that that has a lot to do or had a lot to do with creating that tinderbox with the, with the BLM rioting. You know, you had the typical rioters that kind of do it, and then you had a lot, a lot of these young people that got roped into it. This is something you cannot quantify. This is not even a death count, although there certainly is a death count from the lockdowns and the social isolation and the panic and the fear that's disproportionate to the physical threat of the, of, of the virus that is absolutely going to kill more people than the virus is going to kill. But beyond that, it's the quality of the mental health of tens of millions, if not 100 million people in this country. That's destruction of an entire generation of a civilization because of paranoia. We need rational thought. That is the only way forward. You look at Sweden, okay? This is from... 
what is this? The tele, the UK Telegraph. Meanwhile, the Swedish economy has surprised on the upside last week. Its economy was revealed to have shrunk by 8.6% in the second quarter, um, which, of course, it was going to shrink everywhere. The, the global economy is connected, but it was lower than anywhere else. Um, nevertheless, there's an intriguing possibility that Sweden could be just about the only developed country to manage to get through the COVID-19 crisis without technically suffering a recession. Defined as two consecutive quarters of negative growth, alone in Europe, it managed to grow its economy by 0.4% in the first quarter. One after another, Swedish companies have produced results which have exceeded expectations. There have been few bankruptcies. What's more, having kept factories and other workplaces open throughout the crisis, the Swedes have an advantage in the recovery. They don't have a workforce which has lost the habit of working, which enjoys weeks off in the spring sunshine and now reluctant to return like the American people. But what they don't discuss embedded in that is the mental health gap between a place like America and a place like Sweden. This is the most evil thing ever perpetrated on humanity. It's an evil, evil lie. So guys, how do we fight paranoia and panic and fear? Well, the only vaccine for that is a dose of rationality. And we need to get people thinking more rationally about this. Because again, like, in all likelihood, it's not going away in the sense of if you swab with those stupid PCR tests, you're going to find RNA of SARS-CoV-2 around. And again, there's growing evidence that this really might turn into another coronavirus cold as the other ones likely did To begin with, they were pandemics. They turned into colds. So you need a degree of rationality and context for people to understand what it is. And then once they understand, they need to pressure their officials. And we need at least the red states and the so-called red White House to act red. So at least those battle lines are drawn and people see what rationality look like. And then we can combat the paranoia. Our next guest, Justin Hart, has been with us a couple of times already. And a lot of you have noticed him on Twitter at Justin underscore Hart, and Hart is H-A-R-T, putting out really good data. He's a data guru. Um, He does that for a living. He worked uh, data for the Romney campaign, although he's certainly not that type of Republican at this uh, stage of life. Um, He switched gears. I mean, he still does that. Follow him on Twitter. But he did something better. He did what I always wanted to do, which is that there's millions of dollars spent on conservative think tanks, and they suck. They don't do anything. Some of them, and you know which one I'm talking about, have hundreds of staffers. And on the issues of our time, I do more work in one day than their entire building. I don't know what they do. They waste scarce resources and money every time. And that's when they're not putting out malignant things like criminal justice reform, you know, which which is often the case. It's it's pretty funny what it means to be a conservative in this day and age. It's basically everything the left wants to do one step behind. What Justin did is he took a, a, a group of like 20 or so data guys. Some of them you've seen on Twitter. Um, we've had Kyle Lamb on the show, Nathan Hyatt. Um, I'm probably forgetting a few. And put together an organization ad hoc with no money to do more work than any so-called conservative organization put together. 
It's rationalground.com. With us today is Justin to discuss what that means, what their agenda is. Justin, thanks so much for joining us today on this Friday. Daniel, great to be with you. Yeah, I think we do need that dose of rationality. Now, you know, I should say at the outset, history repeats itself dramatically. When you look back into history at the plague, the actual plague, not what some people call the plague today, where the fatality rate was 30% or 60%. That was a real pandemic. But even back then, there were authors who captured exactly what was happening there. One of them was after the time in the, in the 1800s. He looked back 200 years. He researched a bunch of journals. And his conclusion was that the image of the danger of the plague, it tortured the minds of the people, quote unquote, far more than the existing real and existing danger. And I think that's what we find is that again and again, when these things come up, it's just natural panic. And the thing that is exacerbated have been the failure of our leaders to actually express, identify and figure out where we are in this thing and what needs to be done. They basically just went, you know, we went from wash your hands to weld them inside their houses within the span of a few days here in California. And it's been hugely problematic. So we built rationalground.com. It started basically as like a chat group on Twitter. And it turned into (laughs) like a COVID fight club. But all these awesome people who, again, none of us are virologists or epidemiologists. All of us have expertise in some data point or some policy point. And again, normally I wouldn't insert myself into someone's domain that I'm not an expert in. Yep. But they sure seem to be inserting themselves into my life. When they say you can't breathe free air without a diaper on your face anywhere, dude, we have a right to speak up until the muzzle is put on. Sure enough. And we checked the math and it turns out the math is wrong. So our main goal is at rationalground.com. We're building and curating a trusted set of data. But the data that's out there, we all know, is just bogus, bad. And we're going to call it out when it is. We're going to drive reasoned, fact-based analysis using the current data on the pandemic, extensive charts, infographics, videos, other mediums for convincing people. And then, you know, we're going to design, that's the, the longer-term vision is to design efforts where we can curb and change and impact public policies. So I want to bring resources to all those families, all those mothers, all those parents who are going crazy in their counties because some unelected health official is keeping you hostage and keeping your kid welded to his room. And we're going to give you the resources to say, hey, I know how to address this issue in Georgia or Israel or Korea. And we, we know what the responses are. We know what the truth is. We're going to be honest and factual about it. But we're very clear that this is not the pandemic that was sold to you to keep you inside your house. And that, and that nothing has changed. We need to change it quickly. So here's the problem. Here's the problem. So on the one hand, this is really great because people are craving for information. I think we've all noticed um, material related to like facts, data, trends, truth about the nature of the virus does better than anything. Um, people, you know, it gets millions of hits. I'm I'm a good 
litmus test for this because I've written thousands of articles in my life. I write every day. I'm very prolific. And I write about an array of public policy issues. It could be crime, immigration, budget, foreign policy. I mean, it runs a gamut in my career over, over all the years. I have never gotten more hits on shows or articles than the ones about you know, if I say data on, you know, uh, on, on COVID, you know, trends, facts, people are starving for the truth. They know there's something wrong. They hear a panic porn. And, and what happens is like they do this drive by where, oh, a three year old boy died and you know, it's going to be false in the end. Um, and often is, or this thing spread, or, you know, Europe finds kids aren't a vector, but in America, somehow we find the opposite. Like, you know, oh, no, no, kids are a bigger vector than anyone else. No, 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 kids die more than everyone else. I mean, just the opposite of everything. And everyone knows, like, come on, that doesn't make sense, but they don't have the firepower. What sort of structure does this website give that people could look around, subscribe to, follow, that they could kind of go to and search this out? Well, one of the things we're trying to do, for example, I have this great set of articles up there to respond to the uh, the issues uh, around children and schools. Uh, one of our cohorts, one of our colleagues uh, who is the top of the list on this thing, Phil Kirpin, has done incredible work. And so he allowed us to publish um, his responses to the issues when people bring up Israel or people bring up uh, Georgia and that camp that uh, – that transpired there with some infections. We also have, you know, some quick infographics that you can share. I've, you know, I, I was very chart heavy at the beginning of this, and I think it was it was very powerful. And for certain audiences, that works really well. But most people, you know, if they were to look at like a dual access XY type of uh, bar chart, they might get a little bit uh, wheezy on it because it can be difficult to sort of get your heads around that. Yeah. So I started putting out infographics talking about the actual chances of dying. And that has a huge impact, right? When I say that kids under 15 have a better chance of getting hit by lightning, that's not just a colloquial exaggeration. <laughs> that is a statistical fact, right? Yep. And, and when you realize that and we're just keeping our kids out of there, it's just so dramatic. It's so difficult. And, and again, <clears throat> this is nothing new. Back in the 17th century when the plague happened, there was a rumor going around that certain people were actually whitewashing uh, the cathedral walls and the walls of the city of Milan so that more people would get sick, right? And so anyone who was perceived as being part of that, there was an old man in church. He went to brush off the bench, and someone said, he's anointing the bench. He's anointing the bench. <laughs> the crowd grabbed him, threw him outside, and beat him up because they thought he was spreading the disease. Wow. And that's the real danger that we have where when you talk about the mask issue, when you talk about the confrontations we have, when you talk about the issues we see down in Australia and New Zealand, this has all happened before and now it's happening again. It's like a middle age superstition. I mean, that, that's, what, that's what it's become. And that's my, my question to you is, how do you combat this when it seems like a lot of what's driving it, you do have false data, but that was at the beginning. Now it's taken on a life of its own. So I've noticed that we've become a victim of our own success. We're, the more we're proven right, the more it's held against us. So let me give you a few examples. When this started out, it was a rational debate where they felt that this was rare and deadly. 
Okay, they're, they're, we're seeing what we see are people with like you know choking and um, acute respiratory distress syndrome in New York City. They had a lot of that. And well, if it's rare and deadly, a it's deadly, so it is a big problem. But on the other hand, it's something that doesn't transmit that much, so you could arrest it. You could your your, your input in mitigating it, like like Ebola controls, will will matter in terms of helping. We we're like, no, this th- those are really the rare cases of it. Most are asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic. It spreads like a viral flu, like a pandemic flu. It, it, it's not going to help. A it's it's not nearly as bad as you think it is. B it, it's not going to help anyway. It's going to be with us. And you'll see like the flu and it's not a big deal. So what happened was we were proven right that that's exactly what happened. But rather than them living with it, now it's like, oh, my God, this is like as deadly as Ebola, but it spreads like the flu. It's everywhere. Every case is like stage four pancreatic cancer. And it becomes even more. See, if we were wrong, I wish we were wrong, because if we were wrong, then masks would work and lockdowns would work and we would have been done with this. But it doesn't work because they're wrong. So then they use it to their advantage and they're like, oh my gosh, not working. Okay, now we're going to think of something new. Now we're going to put duct tape on your mouth. Now you're going to wear it in the home. Now two-year-olds are going to wear it. And then that doesn't work. And then it's like, so the, the problem is if it's like Ebola, it's a very clear contrast to when there's an epidemic and when there's not. You know when it's over. But now that it's ostensibly becoming one of the coronavirus colds, albeit it might linger as as a cold does could could be decades but it, it's it's a cold i mean it you know it, but but some of those colds do kill some you know immunocompromised or people within a few months of dying but now there's no end game how do you end this it it's very difficult i think part of it is shifting the focus that people have uh, imagine if we got a news story on every kid that went home sick from school across your county, across yeah. your state, and across Strep the country, throat. because that's what's going to happen, right? And so we need to start shifting the mindset away from cases. You can see advisors to the president helping him do just that. So, for example, instead of looking at testing, we've noted that the CLI, that is the COVID-like illness percentage, What happens is across the country, there's an actual physical box, a little machine with some numbers on it. And I think it's about 10%. Maybe it's gotten larger there, but it's a network of hospitals and providers, emergency rooms. And when someone comes in with certain symptoms, they punch it in there. And if it triggers a COVID-like illness and a CLI, then it'll send that directly to the CDC and to the the HHS. And they'll be able to say, oh, well, we see there's an uptick in this region or this state. And we can extrapolate out and say there might be cause for concern. It's an early warning system. So the more that we can get people off of testing, which is a nightmare, right? Because it's going to pick up all those other 30% of cold viruses and everything else there. The more that we can get them off there, the quicker. So I think if we can get, you know, sort of these alerts from stopping uh, in the system. But I tell you, it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a difficult short-term um, challenge that we have right now to change that mindset. Who is your target audience at a public policy level? In other words, um, you look at the state of play right now. So typically you look at the abortion debate and the battle lines are drawn. The Democrat Party is very clearly pro-abortion and Republicans are clearly pro-life in rhetoric. Now, don't get me started on what they actually do and don't do about it. But at least the perception is they're very clear on pro-life. 
Whereas you go to this issue and you need a magnifying glass, you need an electron uh, uh, microscope the same way you need to find uh, virus particles because they get through the mask uh, in order to see a difference between the two parties on this issue. I mean, you know, the people like Massey and Rand Paul, I mean, you could count the number of people that actually say what we say in elected office. Most Republicans are totally like mini-me's on this issue. Who are we trying to convince and how do we convince them? Well, one of the things that we do, for example, is we become a catalyst for experts in this area. And and again, you know, we're not credentials, virologists or epidemiologists, but believe it or not, there are people that believe like we do, look at the data, who are professionals in this domain. So we help facilitate, for example, um, board of supervisor meetings where they can make an appearance. Mm. Uh, we help them write letters to, to get in front of people. We help provide all this evidence, one very convenient faction to go in there. Uh, we're working right now, for example, for the website for rationalground.com, a really extensive FAQ. So if you had a question about, wow, I wonder what is the studies on this mask issue or what are the studies on this issue pertaining um, you know, to children in schools and infections, you'll be able to find that response very quickly because you'll find that once you're sort of converted to this and you realize how dramatically it's impacting your life, people want to respond. So they'll spend you know, a good portion of their day on Facebook trying to uh, respond to people. I mean, you're stuck inside your house. What else are you going to do, right? And, and we're trying to provide them the ammo. So it's both for the layperson, but we're also acting um, on the elected officials. We're trying to get with them and, and demonstrate that you need to step up and look at these things from a, a purely you know, policy lens here and start taking back the helm from people that you know, are unelected health directors. So this is mid-August. Now, none of us have a crystal ball, and we never claim to have one. What we do know is that based on observations since the beginning of this, none of their superstitious uh, rituals work i mean that is very what is what is very consistent is the virus does what it does based on the latitude the seasonality the demographics the health status um some sort of dark matter understanding of different populations and how much t-cell immunity inherent humoral immunity um they have they might have fewer or greater deaths than other places but the virus will come and do what it's slated to do and we've certainly seen that with the Philippines and Hawaii and, you know, places that literally sealed people up and then like had muzzle wearing with 100 percent compliance at the risk of either being shot in the Philippines or really being beaten up in Hawaii. And, and it doesn't work. I mean, that's that's been very clear. But where do you see things headed virus wise, your best guess over the next month or two? And what are the big battle lines because there's so much to fight there's we don't have enough resources they they set these fires and we know they're bullcrap and it takes about a week or two to debunk each one and then by then they're on down the road with another drive-by shooting so where do you think the efforts need to be focused based on where the trends are yeah like you said the virus is as someone put it the virus is gonna virus right there's no really stopping it and i think the trends are basically that uh, the virus for this this first round that we've experienced is pretty much through. Now, the problem is there are certain populations out there that are still kind of really hunkered down and haven't gone through the gauntlet. And everyone will need to go through the gauntlet at some point. And the more that you delay it, 
the more you butt up against week 39. Week 39 is when flu season starts, which happens to be a month out from the election, which is going to cause all sorts of havoc. So come week 39, the first week of October, last week of September, you're going to start seeing that uh, sort of uptick of cases. The press will go crazy about it. Uh, if we have get, if we can get sort of a rational testing uh, methodology in place and work more towards CLI, I think that'll be positive. But again, they're going to like I'll give you an example. The Bay Area, my hometown there, is going to experience some pain points because they've kept shelter for so long. Now, it may be if we're lucky that with the, you know their large Asian population, they actually had seeding in there and they went through it um, earlier in the year or late last year. We may not even know. Uh, but it is, you know, one of the, the, the areas there that that, you know, I'm looking at and saying, let's keep an eye on those things. And the best thing you could do is just shelter the vulnerable population to let everyone else go about their work. Southern California, I believe, was saved by great Latinos down here in the area because the fastest growing demographic of cases are Latinos between the ages of 18 and 34. At the beginning of June, I think there were 20,000 cases. There are now over 70,000 cases just in that one demographic. But guess what? Deaths went from 30 to 60. Right? Is, is it because what they do for a living? No, I, I think it's part that, but part of it is just it's their culture. The, you know, they're not going to spend Fourth of July away from each other. This is what ah, they, yeah. this is part of their their family heritage, and, and thankfully, because they did that, they built up herd immunity, uh, and because they make up thirty eight percent of the population or more here in Southern California, it actually built up a good part of herd immunity, and which is why hospitalizations are down. Uh, I, I've got the inside scoop on a major conglomerate hospital here in San Diego because the nurses are going crazy because their executives are just fear mongering. We're down to across six major hospitals, 64 patients here in San Diego, a population of 3.3 million. And, and so and we're still locked down. We're still locked down. Oh, so all this information needs to get out there. We're hoping to affect that at all levels, both the top level of the White House, down to the state level, down to the county level. Everyone needs to be armed with this information. What could people do to find out more? Is there a sign up? Um, you know, could people ask questions? Yeah, absolutely. If you go to the website, uh, there's a newsletter sign up. We come out with that two or three times a week, full of incredible information, charts that you can share. And then there's a, a contact us page. If you're interested in helping pop over there, you have a question and inquiry. We're going to have some more interactive features. We're going to try to really build a movement of, of like-minded individuals who understand that this thing is impacting their lives in a dramatic way that is not commensurate for the impact of the virus. And that's the bottom line. Rationalground.com. And I'm just going to leave you with an assignment, Justin. I don't think we, we spoke about this, but I think it's important. Obviously, the school debate in kids really needs to be spelled out. I do think it's gotten out enough. I mean, it can never be reinforced enough, but that kids aren't at risk. But in terms of the second half of the equation, kids being a vector for um, infecting vulnerable people, the biggest thing that, it, that I think needs to be researched on that front, for if you guys could give over, is typically what we've been doing is the what, not the why. And that's important because data shows you what. I don't, I don't know how to explain why, but it's very clear that the virus does this or doesn't do this. And what is abundantly clear, despite the panic porn, is that kids absolutely are not 
meaningful vectors for the virus. Maybe you'll find it here and there, like anything, there's exceptions, but generally speaking, they do not transmit it. The problem is, without the why, people look at me, and I've seen this a lot, it, it, it sounds screwy to them. Like, why? Well, why wouldn't they? I mean, I, I can understand if you tell me, like, they're not vulnerable, they're kids, they have some immunity, okay, that, that lands. But, well, why couldn't they spread it and kill grandma? That needs work. You know, I think it's you're right. I yeah. think you're right. And there, there's some information out there. We have a, a good study out of Germany. But, yeah, I'll take that to heart. That's something we love to do is just dive deep on something, see what's out there. And when we don't know the answer, we go to find the people that will actually do the work in that domain to help us understand that. Exactly. And believe it or not, or not those people exist. They might be uh, undocumented uh, scientists, but uh, no one wants to have their career destroyed. But, you know, from day one, we've had Stanford and Oxford. I mean, no one ever heard of the Imperial College of London. Everyone heard of Oxford. Oxford opposes from day one. But, you know, the, the media just chooses to go with what they go with. So there's plenty of stuff to, to, to draw upon. Rationalground.com. Justin, thanks so much for joining us and keep us updated. Daniel, thanks. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. God bless. Well, there you have it, folks. And it really has been an honor to work with people like Justin and Kyle and some of these guys um, being involved with this group. Um, It's truly something I failed to put together my entire career. We need this on healthcare. We need it on immigration. We need it on a lot of issues on crime. We need to create just think tanks of people. This is your citizen citizen task forces that I talked about before. And Justin has really put it together. Kudos to him. It's a lot of good guys in the group, but he really has taken the time to actually create the website, put it together. Um, so again, if you have questions, you, you, you have things that you feel are um, weapons grade panic porn that needs to be debunked. Uh, email me, dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Discuss it at our Facebook pages, Hurwitz Citizen Sanctuary and Miniman Speakeasy. You could tweet me at RM Conservative. Obviously, follow Justin at Justin underscore H A R T. We are out of time. Have a terrific weekend. Stay knowledgeable, stay empowered, and stay armed. Stay armed.